0: I think that we so easily get persuaded into climbing ladders that aren't of our own choosing. And the the most obvious one is after high school, you go to college, you get the degree, you get the job. After you get the job, you get the promotion. After you get the promotion, you get the house with the picket fence and the 2.7 kids to hopefully be able to retire when you're 65 to then move to Florida and play golf four times a week.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of Chasing Excellence. My name is Patrick Cummings, here with a quick introduction this week. Every week on the show, Ben and I dedicate some time to exploring how we can live a life of better health and increased fulfillment. We answer your questions about the five factors of health, dive deep on living a life of excellence, and explore the strategies and frameworks to help us chase what truly matters. Thank you, as always, for joining us. This week, as I mentioned, we've got something a little bit different. We've got a conversation that Ben had recently with the fine folks at the Food We Need to Talk podcast. Juna and Dr. Phillips talk with Ben about the power of mindset, how we can unlock our potential for health and success, the lessons we can learn from elite athletes and how they can be applied to our everyday lives, and the five foundational behaviors that contribute to optimal health and performance. Before we jump into this fantastic conversation, just a reminder, Head to www.chasingexcellence.email, get on the mailing list. We send out a note when we release a new episode, including a link to get your question into a future show. We've also got some cool new things coming there very soon. So if you don't want to miss out on them, now is the perfect time to get on board. The link is in the show notes, but again, www.chasingexcellence.email. Without further ado, let's get into the conversation.
2: Today, we are talking to one of my personal heroes, someone I'm so excited to talk to, and a world-renowned coach of some of the fittest people on the planet. Why are you laughing? Because, I,
3: because I'm sitting here with, with, an, with a, this fangirl.
2: I, I, I am like truly fangirling. Yeah, like this man is just so cool. An amazing author, an amazing speaker, an amazing podcast host. I'm going to stop because I don't want to make you uncomfortable, but you're just one of the no, coolest people. that's the way people. to make me
0: feel
3: very <laughs> comfortable. <laughs> Keep it going. And for the, and, and for it's very nice. And I appreciate it. Ben Bergeron is
2: in the studio. Yes, Ben Bergeron. Just
3: about a foot from Yuna. Yeah, and... <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. That's why I'm, I'm growing, guys. So, Ben, first, we wanted to basically talk to you just to warm up the audience because the audience might not be aware of, like, everything you do. I think that if people look from afar, they'd be like, how does someone who trains world-renowned athletes... What does that have to do with me, the average person, right? Because our listenership is basically um, majority female, kind of in their 20s to 40s is the majority of people, and like they're not competing in CrossFit, right? But I know from listening to your podcast for years that I feel like the information is applicable to everyone, regardless of whether or not you even exercise. It is so important. So I was wondering, what do you think that we can learn from world-class athletes as just people that are taking care of our health?
0: Okay, so the elite athletes that I've had the the privilege of working with for about 15 years are just doing what we all are trying to do, just doing it with a lot more intentionality. And their careers reside upon this. So having worked with these phenomenal, terrific athletes, it's, it's very black and white in terms of what's working and what's not working. For sure, I don't expect our regular everyday Joes and Janes to be doing what these guys are doing. You know, literally they're in the gym for about eight hours a day. Oh my God. And they weigh and measure every piece of food before it goes on their plate. It goes on a scale and they're tracking everything from their sleep and doing blood work. And we have their sweat analyzed to find (laughs) out the concentration and the amount of um, sweat that they're losing. They travel with a mattress so that they make (laughs) sure that they're getting the right sleep. So that's not an everyday existence for most people. But what it shows you is what's possible if you do pay attention to certain things. And then you just kind of backtrack and go, okay, what are the underlying principles that support this level of performance? And it comes down into what I, I consider to be five foundational behaviors. It's how you eat. It's how you sleep. It's how you train, it's how you think and how you connect with yourself, with others, with nature and those things. And what you find is that if some of any one of those categories are not being paid attention to, the performance suffers. And that's what's been really cool being able to work with these athletes is you can see firsthand, it's kind of like having a uh, the guinea pig <laughs> that like you have to have mm. these crazy Experiments is the wrong word, but you in practice, in real life, in real time, how does this? How do we manifest the best performance? And performance is, you know, just another word for health, hmm. because what we're trying to look for in terms of our health is longevity, vitality, energy, capacity, and capabilities. Well, that's what we kind of do is create the framework for what what is it that's going to drive the peak performance. Backtrack a couple degrees, and then that's how we.
3: So if I can offer a medical counterpart to what you're saying in my work as a academic rehab physician I had a chair I'll give a shout out to Walter Frontera who was both interested in olympic training we're talking about olympic athletes mm-hmm. not not just the lifting <laughs> and care of the elderly and at one point when I met him I said like so like are these just sort of disparate interests you know you're 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 helping run the olympic training center in Puerto Rico, and then you're also publishing a ton on late-life mobility. And he goes, oh, Eddie, Eddie. He goes, it's the same thing. It's just that my 90-year-old, their athletic event today is getting out of the chair.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> and and they're, they're striving for getting to the mailbox because they just had, you know, whatever, an operation or, or an illness. And he used the same principles. And that's what I'm hearing, yeah. that what you're learning from these elite athletes we're hoping that you can apply to our <laughs> our lives and 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 those of the listeners. Yeah, absolutely. Very similar is
0: I've had this dual role where working with elite athletes, but at the same time, I would coach the eight thirty class at my gym, which is everyday soccer moms, dads, anywhere from eighteen up to eighty. So having been able to work on that those, those two ends of the spectrum, yes, there's peak performance. Chase what humans are actually capable of. And then there's the how do we intertwine this into an everyday
3: life?
2: Hmm. Something I heard you talk about recently on the podcast, which is actually a thing that uh, inspired me to reach out because I just thought it was so well said. And,
3: and what's the name of Ben's oh, podcast? Oh, yes, The name <laughs> of the
2: podcast is Chasing Excellence. If you guys ever hear me talk about a podcast on this podcast, it's usually Ben's podcast. I always say, flattering. <laughs> I always say like, yeah, this CrossFit podcast I listen to. And I've got a few emails of people being like, what podcast is it? So now I'm just going to say Chasing Excellence. Very
0: cool. Appreciate that. Um,
2: yeah, of course. And the thing you were talking about was what we want our health for. And I'd never heard the answer before, which was, you said freedom. And I'll let you expand on that yourself. But I think the way I got into health and fitness was through basically just wanting to lose weight. I was just like, okay, like, I'm going to eat as little as possible. I'm going to run on the treadmill. And that was the only reason I cared about food or the gym was just because it was weight loss. And, like, I just think when we chase health for the wrong reasons, that's where we run into all the problems that are associated with over-dieting, under-eating, over-exercising, like body dysmorphia and all of these things. Um, So when I heard your answer, I was like, wow, it's such a more interesting way to think about health and a much more sustainable way to approach health.
0: So health and what people do in the gym particularly, it's a recent phenomenon. Besides athletics, like the Greeks training for the Olympiad, and for sport all through history, people trained for it. But training in terms of the everyday person is very, very recent. It's within the hmm. uh, past 100 years. And actually, it's more recent than that. Even in the 60s and 70s, there weren't publicly available gyms. So the, the popularity of this bodybuilding movement that took place in the 70s and 80s really created this um, gym environment. And then you you compound that with you couple that with this aerobic revolution that took place in terms of running, and that's really what training became in terms of the like you said, in terms of like the, it was all about looking better. So I'm gonna go to the gym to get bigger muscles, or I'm gonna go running to lose weight, and that's what everybody has sort of it's seeped into our subconscious that that's that's the process by which you look better at the beach, you lose weight, you fit into society. And I think that we're starting to see a little bit of a revolution in terms of the consciousness of fitness and what fitness can do for us. And whereas a lot of people are still doing it and not that it's a bad thing, but to look better. Okay. That's a lot to <laughs> look good, feel good, play good, pay good, right? That's the <laughs> Deion Sanders methodology. Right. So not that there's anything wrong with that approach, but I think that there's an evolved aspect to this as well. in the recognition that this is probably the foundation of health. And there are, I already talked about, there's there's five behavioral aspects. And there's more because there's your DNA, there's environmental factors, there's toxins, there's other things. In terms of behaviors, the behaviors that you can do that influence your health on a daily basis are eating, sleeping, training, thinking, connecting. I truly believe that training is the foundational aspect that is the linchpin that starts all the others. So if you were to say, You have someone that's unhealthy, you have someone that's obese or drastically malnourished, underweight, you have all these. What is the place we should start with? Mm -hmm. It's a great debate, right? Should we get them sleeping well so they have energy? Mm -hmm, Should we mm -hmm. get them to have a positive mindset so they feel like they can overcome challenges? Should we get them to have a peer group, an accountability group in terms of connection? Should we get them to do a better job in the kitchen and avoid the junk food? Or should we get them moving in a productive way? And I believe that moving in a productive way is the best way that will have the biggest carryover to the others. So what is the end game of that moving better? To me, it's freedom. It, it really is that free, like, that's the reason I want to train is because I want to continually be an asset to my family, to my peer group. I don't want to be a liability. My worst nightmare is that I need to be taken care of and I'm a burden to those people I care so much about. And this is that evolved approach to fitness is, yeah, the side effects are that you get to look better. Mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. side effects are you have, have more self confidence, you have more capacity on a daily basis. But really, what it's doing is this health, this training allows you a buffer against sickness and decrepitude. So, if you were to age overnight, like imagine this, like you get a time machine and you immediately age 30 years. Well, the fitter, more capable you are today the more of a hedge, the less you're going to get knocked down over those next three decades. And the same thing happens with disease or any sort of other um, immediate trauma. If you're in a car accident, the fitter you are going to that car accident, it is a hedge
3: against decrepitude, injury, or anything else. I work at the VA and I uh, obviously take care of vets. Um, One of my patients was explaining that when things go wrong in the plane, the higher up you are, Mm, I love that. Um, the yep, longer you analogy. have, the longer you have to respond, and 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 you think like, oh, I'm scared to go up in the air. Like ten thousand <laughs> feet sounds like a lie. He goes, No, you want like thirty six thousand because then you got some time, and we're all coming in for a landing. Is it going to be? a glide or a crash. Exactly right. So, <laughs> yeah. But can, can you, um, so we talk a lot about food. It, the podcast is food. We need to talk. So <laughs> we live up to that. And and you and I are avid uh, exercisers of maybe of slightly different stripes. Uh, we don't talk a lot about the thinking piece. Mm. So could you get into, is it just attitude? Is it, I've heard you talk about growth mindset. Is it all of that? And And well, I'll ask you my next question right away. And when someone comes to you, and that's what's standing in their way. I mean, they showed up in the yep. gym, but take take us through the thinking. The
0: hardest part about the thinking, the hardest part of the mindset aspect is that it's not tangible. You can't see it, right? It's the music playing in your head that no one else can hear. So it's really hard to kind of weigh and measure how we're doing there because you have no place to compare and contrast that to a norm data set. So I believe the best place to allow ourselves to move forward and grow with our mindset is to be able to map where we are. And this isn't necessarily a hierarchy. It's not you're better or worse. It's not even phases, it's stages. And we're always gonna bounce between different stages of these mindsets. Mm -hmm. Some days you'll be in one, some days you'll be other. One minute you might be one, one minute might be the other. But the idea is people with the greatest level of self-awareness is where this like is the big You know, in the last decade, there's been so much talk about self-awareness. Those that have enough self-awareness can recognize where they are, what stage they are in. And then once we recognize what stage we are in, then you have the capacity to shift and move. So that framework is there are five different stages of mindset. And the lowest one, if you will, the one that we want to spend the least amount of time in is the victim mindset. The victim mindset takes no ownership. It places blame and complains about everything around them. It's always somebody else's fault. So once we're there, if you are there, if you are stuck there, you can't move forward. To me, the victim mindset is the worst thing that a human being can do to themselves. Now, that is very different than being a victim.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: Hmm. There are people that have experienced um, horrific atrocities in their childhood from abusive upbringings. Those are victims. Mm -hmm. The next level above the victim mindset is the pessimist. And the pessimist might not necessarily just blame everyone else, but this sucks. This is, they look at all the, they look at all the obstacles. They look at, you know, the glass is half empty and, you know, all of the things like, it's not a productive place to hang out because we know that the next level above that, the optimist will outperform the optimist. If you go into a sporting event, you're going to outperform if you believe that you have the capabilities, if you mm-hmm. believe you're going to win, if you believe that the future is brighter than the past. But where most people go, well, the optimist is what we're all aspiring to be. There's so much talk about there about optimism and gratitude and the rest. To me, that's the middle. That's mm-hmm. what that's like the homeostate. That's like anything below that, we're hurting ourselves. And anything above that, we're helping. And The reason for that is the optimist lacks something, which is called bracing, which is, it's going to be fine. We're good. It's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. When that's not always the case. We Mm -hmm. know that there are things Mm -hmm. that aren't okay. So if you just kind of like always paint everything with these rose tinted glasses, when true hardship comes face to face with us, the optimist actually collapse. And this is really shown really well in Prisoners of War the ones that believe, like, it's okay, guys, buck up. We'll be out by Christmas. And Christmas comes and goes. And then it's okay, guys, we'll be out by Valentine's Day. It comes and goes and it rolls around. They die of a broken heart. Whereas actually in certain circumstances, the pessimists do actually outperform the optimists. So it's not as black and white as like optimism is always better. Mm-hmm. In the long run, they do outperform, but in certain circumstances, they don't. So What do we actually need to do? We need to move above the optimism to the fourth level. Now we have victim, pessimist, optimist, and that fourth level is the realist. And the realist just understands that there is hardship, and there's great things as well. But being a living thing on planet Earth means that you have to endure challenges. They are coming; they are unavoidable. And it's not because it's picking on you. It didn't rain on your birthday because, <laughs> because you know, someone has it's, because it's your birthday and something had <laughs> your camping trip. It rained. It's not like that. Your person didn't get elected to the political office that you wanted. It's, these things are going to be a natural part of being a living thing on planet Earth. Dolphins get sunburns. Like, it's, <laughs> like palm trees have to withstand tropical storms. Yeah, like, yeah. every living thing has hardships. So, what you start to realize is that anything less than just accepting the challenges of life is storytelling, We're telling stories about it. Instead of accepting that this is what it, you're stuck in traffic. Yes, you are stuck in traffic. But what we like to do is storytell about that. Either it's these people's fault, of course I'm stuck in traffic, or we do the other thing. It's okay, I'm fine. I'll find the opportunity in the obstacle and we'll do those. Just, (laughs) Just accept it. If we can just accept it, we're living in this reality of where we are once we get there, now we can productively move forward. But there is a level even above that. So now we have victim, pessimist, optimist, realist. There's a level above that, which we can term something like a warrior mindset. And a warrior mindset is somebody that actually not only accepts the challenges, but they seek them out. Mm. They look for challenges because they know that only through challenges and some challenges are too daunting and too overwhelming and they break us down no matter where we are. But what challenges actually do is they create a platform for us to move forward, to grow,
3: evolve, to become something better. So, hmm. you know, I just realized you you have a warrior mindset.
2: Oh, thank you. Love that was so kind of you. I, wow. I, mean, I, I
3: mean, if Ben doesn't realize it That's or so nice. um, even being legally blind, like why not take on Oh, I don't know. Doing a backflip.
2: I yeah. did. I did a backflip last year. That was awesome. and, and <laughs> that
3: was so cool. That's amazing. And, and let's think of, I don't know, probably the most visual sport I can think of. Snowboarding.
2: Yeah, it's my new obsession. I'm <laughs> wow. snowboarding. Yeah. my new obsession.
3: Yep. Um, and, and you seek these things out.
2: Yeah. Because, okay. <laughs> I think I think the harder things seem visually, like the more interesting they are to me because it's like a harder puzzle to figure out of like mm. how to make it adaptive. Does that, does that make sense? Yes. On this, like, thing you were talking about how you think movement is, like, the first step to changing these things, uh, I feel like that was so – that played out so strongly in my life because, like I said, when I was just um, eating as little as possible and running on the treadmill and whatever, the thing that changed my thinking around all the other five factors, basically, was training. So when I started, like, lifting, I was like – wait, like I actually need to eat enough if I want to get stronger. Like you can't just like starve yourself into getting stronger. You know what I mean? And so that changed the food aspect. Then I was like, oh, I need to sleep enough to like, to perform better in the gym. So I started to sleep better. Then I was like, and then when you start lifting all the time, you see like your numbers go up and you get more confidence. I was like, wow, like my mindset was getting so much better. So I feel like for me, it was so concretely that like training did really uh, impact the other factors in my life. And even like relationships, because then I would like seek out people that also liked the gym. And like a big reason why I even wanted to try CrossFit was, to have other people with like similar mindsets around so i feel like it it was really played out in my life and i think a lot of us don't really think of exercise as the first step for a lot of these things and when it comes to the thinking aspect how do you explain why thinking is so important for health because i think we can understand intellectually these things are important but i don't think we associate it with our physical health can you talk about like the link between having a realist or warrior mindset and health
0: absolutely even as recently as the seventies, there was this real delineation between mind and body, and people talked about as two separate things. There was the mind, there was this esoteric thing that was left for the the mystics and the the weird people that wanted to explore the mind thing, and then there was the body, this concrete thing made of biology and chemistry, right? Well, it's very odd that took us that long to kind of go, well, maybe there's a connection between these two things. (laughs) When we know it, like we know it firsthand. I have four kids just recently. One of my kids, who's an 11-year-old boy, had a nightmare. So he comes in my room in the middle of the night and he has this nightmare, which is just a thought. There's nothing more than a thought in his head. But yet he was full of sweat and he was out of breath. So a thought has a downstream effect on your body. So we just have to like full stop. Once everyone recognizes that, then we can have the next kind of layer of the conversation. We can talk about what actually is happening there, but you have a thought. There's a, actually before thought, usually there's a trigger, something, there's a trigger, there's a thought, that thought creates an emotion and that emotion creates a physiological change in the body. So if you get angry, your body starts to pump out epinephrine and your pupils dilate and your heart rate goes up. And we know what that means. If you have a moment of pure bliss and joy, you oxytocin and serotonin come in. It's like there are chemical reactions that happen just simply from thoughts. So it is not thoughts And then like close the door, walk down the hallway, open the other door and body. They are one in the same and intricately connected. And here's the next level of that connection. Every cell on your body is striving so hard to figure out what type of an environment it is in. And if your body is in a, if you are in a relaxed environment, your body will switch into a parasympathetic place, which allows you to rest, relax, digest, and repair. Those are all really important functions for health. But if your body is sensing that you are in a stress environment, then what's the signals that are going to every single one of those cells is that you should be in the sympathetic nervous system, which is fight, flight, that runaway, high stress. Well, what happens is through the thinking, you're telling your body what to do. And if you are telling your body you're in a stressful state, back in the day from a uh, Paleolithic, from a evolutionary biology perspective, this was really important for us from survival mechanisms. If you were being chased by the saber-toothed tiger, it's like... Yo, all hands on deck. (laughs) We don't need to be resting and repairing. Let's get all the blood to the limbs so we can run away from this as fast as possible. Our eyes actually change from an oval to a cone shape so we're laser focused on the path ahead so we don't trip. Our adrenaline goes so we have as much capacity to run as fast as we possibly can. Really cool system. but. When that happens, that comes at a cost. The immune system, which is there to fight off pathogens and viruses, essentially turns off. So because of that, your ability to fight off disease or anything else goes way down and doctors know this before you're about to get an organ transplant, they inject you with a stress hormone. That stress hormone shuts down your immune system so they can put the new organ in you. So it doesn't reject this foreign substance. So what we have to recognize is that it is our thoughts, not the environment we are actually in. It's the way we're interpreting Mm, our mm -hmm. environments because there are no saber two tigers, but what are there? There's bosses that want to get you to work on the weekend. There's deadlines. There's kids that aren't listening to you. There's lunches that need to be made. There's the traffic. And we interpret those things. We think those things are really high stress because the body is on high alert for find the stressor, what's going to kill us. And we think still that those things are going to mess us up. So that has a downstream effect on every cell in our body, shut off the immune system, get the blood to the working limbs, change the shape of our eyes. And what happens is now we don't have an immune system. We don't have the ability to take food, digest, take the food that we're eating and turn it into energy. Now what happens is we have gut issues. We have IBS, we have leaky gut. We have uh, inflamed joints and systems all based off of the perception of what our environment is, which means the way we think.
2: Hmm. That was a really good explanation. I think that's the extreme of like what happens in super, super high stress situations. But a lot of us are like in this low grade stress constantly. Exactly. And so all these things like just to add up and over time. And the, that's the dangerous
0: part. Like as an acute thing, you trying to learn to do a backflip, you, yeah. you snowboarding, <laughs> you doing a CrossFit workout, you doing a cold plunge, you doing a sauna, you doing public speaking. Those are acute stressors, hormesis, a healthy stress. Mm-hmm. What we want to stay away from is exactly what you're talking about is the chronic stress because then it doesn't shut off. When you have the acute stress, your body super compensates by making it healthier mm-hmm. in the long run. But if you never get the into the other state, you never get the rest repair and the growth. And that's what starts to basically eat us from the inside out.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned your kids a few times. We have a lot of listeners that ask us questions about raising kids, basically, and uh, talking about health with them in a way that isn't about appearance and restricting, but still like underlines how important it is and makes them interested in it themselves. How do you model that for your kids and get your kids to want to eat healthy and work out without you telling them they should? And Eddie, I don't know if you want to add anything to that because Eddie well, actually has kids. Well, if you tell them
3: that they should, then... You're gonna get the opposite, so <laughs> and they might look at you and say like, "Oh my god, my dad is like training these world class athletes." Well, it's a toss up. You know, just follow him or do the opposite. So, uh, it's a I think it's a
0: multifaceted answer and not an easy one to just kind of lay out. Like, here's what you do: is you you lay out apples and you lay out Snickers bars and go, "This is healthier than it's <laughs> it's, it's, it's not that." I really think it begins with. The actual conversation is about love and leadership. And if you can connect with your kids to a point where, because no matter what, what no matter what lesson you're trying to instill on in them, whether it's health or it's paying attention in school or it's having uh, being polite in a, a good upstanding member of society, being disciplined and hardworking. It doesn't matter what the lesson is. So again, kind of like put that on the table for a little bit. And instead it becomes, how do you lead in love? Because to lead is to love and to love is to lead. And it really comes down to the relationship you have with your kids. And then if you have that really strong relationship, they're gonna wanna model you. Think of the people that you admire, like really, really admire. Well, you want to be like them. Like that's, that's a whole idea behind role models. And I think that the best thing that we can do as parents is to create as loving a relationship as you possibly can, and then model it yourself. And it's not about um this is a complex carbohydrate this is a simple carbohydrate this is what omega 6 is and this is omega 3 and you know back in the day like it was the, the the balance was a lot better but now it's out of whack so here's your fish oil it's not yeah. that it's about that lead in love and then from there just like any practice the actual tools that you want to use to get someone from point a to point b there's dozens and dozens and dozens and no one is better than the other
1: We'll be back with this wonderful conversation in just a minute. But first, a word of thanks to a few of our sponsors. Are you tired of dealing with back pain and muscle aches? Well, look no further. Get ready to experience simple and effective recovery with Chirp. Visit GoChirp.com to learn more and use the code excellence at checkout for 10% off your first order. Chirp offers a range of innovative products designed to help you feel good and do more of the things you love. With over a million satisfied customers, Chirp is changing the game in the pain, relief, and muscle recovery space. So how does it work? The Chirp Wheel applies gentle pressure on the muscles surrounding your spine, stretching and strengthening them while elongating your spine. Unlike traditional foam rollers, the Chirp Wheel's unique design focuses on delivering targeted pressure exactly where you need it. Whether you choose the Chirp Wheel Plus, Chirp Wheel XL, or the Chirp Wheel XR collection, each wheel is crafted with your comfort and relief in mind. And for those looking for ultimate muscle recovery, the Chirp RPM combines rolling massage and percussive massage techniques to accelerate your body's healing process. I love this thing, the Chirp RPM. But don't just take our word for it, take your own word for it. Chirp offers a 60 day feel good guarantee. If you're not 100% satisfied with their products within 60 days, simply send them back. Don't let pain hold you back from experiencing life to the fullest. Visit GoChirp.com today use the code excellence at checkout for 10% off your first order. Say goodbye to pain and hello to a pain-free active lifestyle with Chirp. We are also brought to you this week by Momentus. Are you struggling to get a good night's sleep? Well, I've got a solution for you. Introducing Momentus Sleep, the ultimate sleep supplement that will help revolutionize your nighttime routine. Go to livemomentus.com, learn more, Be sure to use the code EXCELLENCE for 20% off your order when you do. Momentous Sleep is a carefully curated blend of three powerful ingredients, magnesium L-threonate, apigenin, and L-theanine. Together, they work harmoniously to help you fall asleep faster, stay asleep longer, and wake up fully recharged. But what sets Momentous Sleep apart? Not only does it contain proven ingredients, but it's also free from banned substances, toxic contaminants, and fillers. Well, that's good. In fact, it's certified by Informed Sport and NSF certified for sport, ensuring the highest quality and safest standards. Momentous Sleep comes in convenient individual packets, making it easy to incorporate into your nightly routine. Just grab a packet and experience the greatest night of rest. Whether you're an athlete, a busy professional, or simply someone who values quality sleep, Momentous wants to help you achieve your goals. So why wait? Start your journey to better sleep today. Visit Live livemomentous, dot com and use the code excellence to get 20% off their sleep pack and all their other best-in-class products. Remember, sleep is fundamental to your health and well-being. Take the first step toward a better night's sleep with Momentous.
3: And we're here with Ben Bergeron. And fangirl, Yuna <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I want to ask Ben about, I love this metaphor that you use about leaning your ladder against the right wall. We all, not all of us, but speaking for myself, I'm a big fan of climbing up a ladder and can I get a little further? <laughs> can I get a little higher? And sometimes you get up there and you look around and go like, okay. It's time to come down or that other wall looks better. So take us through what it means to lean your ladder against the right wall and what happens when you get up there anyway? I think I took that analogy or metaphor from Stephen Covey,
0: I believe. And the idea is, yes, we want to be achieving. Yes, we want to be evolving. Yes, we want to be, quote, moving up the ladder and bettering ourselves But we also want to constantly be reassessing and making sure that we're moving forward in the right direction. It's very different to take a road trip across the country, leaving Boston, heading for San Francisco. And it's okay to take little detours along off the path as long as you keep on heading West Mm -hmm. because you know where you want to get to. Well, that's very, you're going to end up in San Francisco if you just keep going West, right? Essentially, That's very different than just getting in your car and trying to drive faster and faster and faster. You don't know where you're gonna end up. So the idea behind lean your ladder up against the right wall is find the wall, try to have some perspective, some hindsight in the present moment that when you get up to the fourth, fifth, sixth rung, when you get to the top, What's that going to feel like? Where are you going to be then? And I think that we so easily get persuaded into climbing ladders that aren't of our own choosing. We And the the most obvious one is after high school, you go to college, you get the degree, you get the job. After you get the job, you get the promotion. After you get the promotion, you get the house with the picket fence and the two- car garage and the 2.7 kids to um, hopefully be able to retire when you're 65 to then move to Florida and play golf four times a week. (laughs) <laughs> like that's that's the thing we've been sold is like this is the thing and by the way We're always told that happiness is on the other side of the next thing I'll be happy when I get into college like if I could just get into a good school I'll be happy when I get a good job if I only get a great job I'll be happy when I get the raise and I get the corner office and i'm making six figures Okay, i'll be happy when I make my first million. I'll be happy when I get the boat. I'll be happy when I Lose the weight lose the weight. all of the things right well What is the thing that's actually going to bring you true fulfillment? Because if happiness is always on the other side of the next achievement, it can't be achievement because once we achieve something, we're looking for the next thing. So you're climbing an infinite ladder. That doesn't sound very fun to me. In fact, I think a pretty apt definition of hell for me would be working my tail off for something that doesn't ultimately matter.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: So. Mm Let's find what ultimately matters. Like, what is going to matter to you? Now, if we find that wall and we start climbing up that wall, now our life has meaning, purpose, passion. Now we're really moving forward in the direction of our dreams, not just taking the next step to take the next step.
3: Let me stick with the narrower metaphor of the ladder. And I'm thinking, I, I've got you here uh, that I'm looking at, um, you climbed a pretty high ladder in your concert piano career.
2: Yeah. So the the reason this analogy always sticks out to me when you talk about it is because in college, or basically, I guess, end of high school, all through college, I wanted to be a pianist. And, like, I was obsessed with it. Like, it's all I did. I practiced, like, eight hours a day. All my free time, I was just reading piano books, whatever, all the classes I took. I didn't
0: even know there was such a thing as piano books. <laughs>
2: I was reading biographies of composers so I would know their like compositions better. Uh, guys, it was insane. I was thinking and, like,
0: this is the... Whoever makes pianos. I don't know who makes pianos. <laughs> no, no.
2: The Steinway Bible. This is the Steinway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, no. But it, it was basically all I did and all my friends were musicians and it was just very much like the bubble I was in. And then when I graduated college and all my friends kind of moved away and did their other things and I was like practicing for grad school, I just like realized like I had stopped loving piano years earlier Mm. and I was basically just doing it because it was all that I had done and it was everything on my resume and all my accomplishments and blah 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 and so like deciding to not do piano anymore because I also I also hate quitting things like I don't ever quit anything so it just felt like such a massive admitting defeat to like quit piano but I was like I really, like, don't like this. Like, I can't stand this. I don't even want to look at a piano. I don't want to hear it. Right. I've, and so, and that I was 22. It seemed like it was, like, the end of my life. Like, I was like, I'm never going to have a job. I'm going to die homeless, you know. Um, anyways, that's how it seems at the time. And so... How do we, I guess, have the courage and know when to stop climbing up a ladder, like when it is wrong for us and to accept sunk costs? I think it was really hard for me to accept that like sunk costs are sunk and you don't have to let it dictate your future, I guess.
0: Yeah, that's a great story that exemplifies this. And the really crappy answer to your question is you're not going to know. You will never know. And that's what everybody wants is this certainty. There is no it's one of the things that we talked about in like the levels of mindset. We have to accept in our lives that there is a one of the hallmarks of being a human being is living with uncertainty. There's not many. And this is from um you know I've taken from Stutz who this um great psychologist.
2: There's a uh, Netflix documentary about him, exactly. right? Yeah.
0: Yep. Yeah, with Jonah Hill did it. And you know, there's basically three things that we have to come to grips with. You're always going to have to do work. Like work is a thing. You're always going to have to work. Now, even if you don't have a job, you, still have, to, you still have to brush your teeth. You have to make yeah. your meals. You have to do your laundry. Like damn there's, it. There's all, so like, right, damn it. But that's what like a lot of people are spying to is this place where they don't have to do any work. Like right. it's never going away. Again, every living thing on planet earth, every living thing has to do work to stay alive. So just coming to grips with that. The next is that there is going to be suffering and pain in your life. People try to avoid it. It's not going away. It's going to be there. You are going to watch every single person you care about die. Every single person that you know and you care about, you're going to watch and experience their death unless you die first. It's a part of being alive and no one can avoid that. Pain is coming. Well, The last one is uncertainty. We try so hard for certainty in our lives. How do I know I'm chasing the right thing? How do I know when I should quit and move on to the next thing? How do I know that this is fill in the blank and you don't? We don't. So that's why through years and years, like millennia and millennia, they have built this thing into you called your gut. You have three centers. You have your mind, you have your heart, and you have your gut. Your mind is the thoughts where you're gonna try and figure it out. You're gonna do the pros and the cons and go, well, where's like the best avenue for me going forward? Will I get a job if I do this? Will I be, you try to figure it out. The next is the heart, which is tied to your emotions. Like, how do I feel about this thing? And last one's your gut. Your gut just goes like, I can't, I can't put my finger on why this is seems to be the thing. But it's the same type of thing when you're you're walking in the woods as a caveman or a woman and you just got this sense that something wasn't right or you're sitting in a room and all of a sudden something doesn't feel right that's your gut feeling that is as real as anything else and I would say it's the most real thing. So when you get that gut feeling that maybe piano isn't right for me it's time to listen. Your gut has been built into you for, through through evolution for a purpose. And we've in today's society are so um, visual and analytical that that is pushed aside as some weird thing. Why would you ever like not take the data? Why would you not try to figure this thing out?
2: And on the the topic of like the ladder and your gut feeling, and I think a lot of this is kind of revolving around the idea of fulfillment, and, like, doing something that you do feel fulfilled in it doesn't mean that you're always happy doing it, but it's, like, meaningful to you to do it. And I think something I've noticed is that when people feel fulfilled in, like, their careers, they're also – or whatever, what they do in their day-to-day lives or maybe as a parent, like, in what in some aspect of their life, they also are much more likely to kind of take care of themselves because you have something that you're, like, taking care of your health for – And I've noticed that a lot of the people I think that I see struggle with, like, finding something fulfilling in their lives also don't care about how they eat, also don't exercise, also don't care about their sleep. So even though, like, I mean, I'm kind of bringing this back to the sense of, like, this is a health podcast, but I think that fulfillment is such an important part of health because when they did that, like, Harvard study about the people that lived the longest, I think fulfillment and connecting with others is, like, the most important thing that predicted longevity, right? So, like, feeling like your existence matters on the planet, basically.
0: yeah, absolutely. That's the idea behind going back all the way to the wall is in the real question we should be asking ourselves is what is that thing that gives me the most fulfillment, which is obviously gonna be tied to your passion, which gives you a purpose for doing this thing, which connects you to humanity, everything. So yes, if this is to me is the most, and then all of the other things, I'm not gonna say fall into place, but to your point, you now have a reason for those things, is to take care of those things. And that's the, I think that that's the thing we should all be curious about. That's the thing we should all be wondering about is where am I spending my time? And am I spending my time the way that I, is gonna lead to the most fulfillment for me? And to your point, it's not fulfillment in terms of immediate joy and satisfaction, gratification. It's not seeking pleasure It's about long-term, after the thing is done, what do you think about it? It can lead us down a a really nasty path if we're always trying to seek out happiness and joy. If you asked a heroin addict, when was the last time you felt really good? 20 minutes ago. The the heroin (laughs) addict is gonna say like the last time I was using. If that's the thing that we're using as as a metric for what we should be chasing, it's not the thing that makes you feel really good. It's the thing that when you're done with the thing, how did you feel about that? When you were done having that really hard conversation with your coworker, how do you feel about it? I feel a lot lighter. I feel a lot better about that. Mm-hmm. It was really hard in the moment. how did you feel about that, you know, training for that marathon? Well, it was terrible when I had to go for a run and 45 degrees and it, you know, it was raining and it was 5.30 AM. That was, but afterwards the accomplishment that I had, great. Like, okay, like raising kids in the moment, really challenging, like really, really hard. But you know, when the kids are older and grown, how do you feel about that? It's the most fulfilling thing I've ever done in my life. Like there's nothing that brought me more purpose and passion. Like that's where we want to start the conversation with health is with that. Because then all of a sudden you have the meaning for eating
3: better and all the other factors. So when people come into your gym, they're trying to do something, presumably they haven't done before. How do you leverage the ladders that they've climbed Mm. before? And I'll I'll give an example. Um, I take care of lots of patients, uh, many of whom are very infirmed, and they have a lot of pain. And as I take a history, I determine that uh, it looks like you lost 60 pounds here. You know, how did you do that? And it says you're an an ex-smoker. How did you give up the cigarettes? Mm. And then they'll add in, well, I also gave up alcohol. And I go, my friend, like you've climbed, you've, you've crossed a lot of chasms in your life. You know, now we're, we're facing this next one. And I feel a little bit like a motivational speaker. And of course I'm speaking to one here to you. Like, is, is that where you say, like, you've done this before, you know, you can do it again. Like, how do you get people in and and up and up the, the, an appropriate ladder for them?
0: Yeah. um, We don't do that. Ah, and I think that that's a really strong, valid um, approach. What we want to do is put the emphasis on right here, right now, Mm. and a really simplistic approach going forward, which is, you know, we talk about this multitude of things, right, these five factors and purpose and ladders and all these esoteric things, you know, the, the different levels of mindset. But my starting point is if I can get you to the gym, five to six days a week, if I can get you here five or six days a week, I know what happens downstream of that. And everything else will fall into place because being nothing changes an organism more than its environment. The environment is the thing that changes an organism. And we've worked so hard to create a certain environment, culture, and practice for the regular members that walk into the gym that if they're there the rest will fall into place. So that's the thing we're looking for is consistency. We need you in the environment. You know the saying is that you're over 150% more likely to be overweight if your friends are overweight than if your parents are overweight. It's not your genetics, it's your environment. Your friends are having the watching football and having the pitchers of beer and the wings and the nachos and the pizza that's the reason why it's not because of your genome it's because of the environment change the environment and change the organism
2: how do you navigate environments where you might not have control over everything in your environment so i'm asking specifically oh god i'm asking specifically <laughs> because some well of done. our thank you some of our <laughs> listeners so like a common question we get is a lot of people are moms mm-hmm. and they will say things like i have teenagers yep. who play sports or whatever and they just they bring frozen pizzas they have them in the freezer they bring home snacks desserts and like i can't take these things out of my house like they're in my house and i would prefer just not have them there but they're there What do you do when you're in an environment where it's like, you can't, you you have to kind of like be the bigger person in this environment. It makes it a lot harder than like when you're in your own place and you only keep fruits and vegetables around. Yeah.
0: So this is, I really believe like for nutrition, the number one place for nutrition is clean up the house. Like don't have it in the house. This is like 101 of habit formation. Make higher and lower friction. So make it really hard, high friction to make bad choices. So if you really want ice cream, okay, get in your car, drive to the ice cream store and go get an ice cream. That's really hard. Instead of like really low friction, which is it's in the freezer. Mm -hmm. Or even higher friction is you're serving it to your kids. It's out. You're trying to make it as high friction as possible. That's the 101 is like Mm -hmm. change the environment, create the friction. If, If someone was saying that their kids are bringing the, bad food, quote, big air quotes, bad food into the house and they can't do anything about that. That to me is a big red flag of, it's an issue of love and lead. Mm. Like you're the leader. Like you're Mm. the leader. Like you control the environment. Mm -hmm. That would be like saying, we have a no dog policy at my work, but my workers keep on bringing dogs in. What do I do? (laughs) Like, Mm. I don't want the dogs Mm. in there, but they keep on bringing the dogs in. Like what do I do?
2: Oh, interesting. You
3: love and lead. You're not like, leading them. Yeah, yeah.
2: So if your kids like brought stuff in the house, you'd be like, "We don't have this stuff in the house." Like, if exactly. you want it, you can go get it. But like, we don't. We don't it do. In the house. We don't bring this in the house. Mm-hmm.
0: It's it's a very clear thing. Now it's not militaristic. It's not. To, but it's you start with the love, and then they understand where you're coming from. This is like leadership. Like one on like. Leadership is the seas of leadership. You know, it's, you have to show that you care because no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. You have to show that you care. Well, then from there, you have to show competence. You have to show that you are able to do this thing. So I'm, for my kids, I am able to make you a better person. Like I'm, like, I have to show that like, hey, if we do these things, you're going to come out the other side better. And then you go with consistency. You have to do this. You have to hold it, hold the line. Hold the line, consistency, all the time. Like this is what leadership is, is care, competency, and consistency. If we do that thing, then the issue of like my kids bringing in the junk food isn't a thing. Now they'll bring it in on Halloween and now we have to have a certain principle that we hold year after year after year for consistency for what that is. And for us, just knowing what happens to the body in terms of acute and chronic, that night- Go for it, kids. As much as candy as you want to eat. Like, we'll stay up. We will stay up until you're done. Like, let's do it. Tomorrow morning when you wake up, the candy's gone. It's gone. Like, it's it's not there because if it's there, it's a fight.
2: Mm-hmm. Can we kind of end the conversation with, um, whenever we have an amazing coach in the studio me and eddie like to selfishly ask um personal <laughs> personal training yes, advice. <laughs> so i'll go first or do you want to go first no
3: you, you can go and, okay. then, and then we'll continue on in, in the talk okay separately
2: i was trying to think i was like what problems do i have in the gym first of all trying to learn a muscle up and it's really mm. really hard for me but that's like very specific and like a very niche thing and whatever but i'd say the overall actual problem is I'm just very bored. I've been lifting for six years and I've also just had a lot of other deadlines and things. So it hasn't been my top priority for sure. Uh, so I haven't been following the program. But I think I need to, like, I don't, I guess, how do you approach having goals in your training and how do you shift your goals ever? Do you have specific goals throughout the year or do you just kind of wing it? Because I feel like I just haven't, I'm happy with how strong I am. I'm not necessarily like, dying to get stronger um i do want to improve my cardio so that's something i'm like really excited about and i actually do a few times a week and that's the more exciting part to me right now is that because i'm so bad at it mm-hmm. so it's like more exciting to do but the rest of it i'm just kind of like oh i just go and lift because i really do love it and it makes me feel better and i know it improves the rest of my day but it's not like exciting like it used to be when it was like oh my gosh like what am i gonna do next so what's, what's the next number i'm gonna hit and i was really really excited about it mm-hmm. um so i guess like how to keep training exciting and do you do you set goals or how do you approach that
0: Okay, so maybe we can get to, do I do that? But to get to you, because yeah. that's what this was originally yeah. intended for. Why do you go to the gym? If, it's, if it is boring and you used to find a lot of excitement in chasing new numbers, why do you continue to
2: do it? Oh my it? God, because I lo- I'm a better person if I go to the gym. Like I am in a better mood. My stress levels are better. Like I feel stronger. I feel more confident. It's a big, big, big stress reliever for me. Like when I'm happy- I go to the gym. When I'm sad, I go to the gym. It's just like my emotional coping mechanism for everything I do. So it's like it's such a staple of my life, I guess.
0: Okay. So I would when you feel bored, I would just come back to that.
2: Yeah. That that is the only way I like that's the way I stay consistent. Because I'm like, yeah. There
0: are some things that we do. Remember that work is an unavoidable part of being a human being. Yeah. This is some of the work that you need to do to feel passion. You love it. You feel alive when you do it. But sometimes it might be monotonous. Mm -hmm. Not everything that we do is going to be brought in with a certain level of vigor and excitement and super motivation. They are when they're new. And that's kind of where your question went because you knew that intuitively that like when it's new, it's exciting.
2: Right. Yeah.
0: So you can either do one of two things, accept that this is the work that you need to do in order to be able to have that peace of mind.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: We're all after peace of mind. Whatever we say we're after, whether it's better earning potential or a better body, it's we're all after peace of mind. Mm -hmm. That's what we all want. So just recognize that this is the work that you need to do for that freedom. Just like people going to their job have to recognize that this is the job that they want to create the financial freedom.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: The second part of that is if you want to create something new and exciting again, we could explore what's new and exciting. Mm -hmm. And that might be changing up the strength program um, from Olympic lifting and cardio to maybe we enter into the adaptive division of CrossFit.
2: I've already been there. I really wanted to do that. That'd be so fun. I was really excited about it. If you
0: think that, it'd be really exciting. Then like that gut reaction right there says that um, we can bypass it. We can really easily fix the boredom part. Mm-hmm. You're, you, you just, totally, your yeah. whole body chemistry just changed when yeah. you said that. It's like, so we just have to find the exciting thing. And now whether that's running a marathon or running a sub six minute mile or competing in CrossFit or doing a Spartan race or- Jiu-jitsu. I want
2: to jiu-jitsu, I do jiu-jitsu so Exactly.
0: <laughs> so there's plenty of things. You already have the answers. You already have the answers. You know the things that excite
2: you. Part of doing something new is that you're going to be really bad at it and so I, I think the gym is just like so much like lower barrier to entry because like I know where to go. I know how to do everything. It's like less mental effort. and so At the I same
0: time, to... you're so good at trying new challenging that's things.
2: That's true. It's, it's so much more fun.
0: Because you're a warrior.
2: Yes. Thank you. Right. <laughs> guys. Guys, <laughs> yes. please stop it. Seek stop. Out don't the stop. stop. Hey.
1: Thanks so much for tuning into the show and to the all the way of the show. We always love that. Uh, Thank you to Juna and Dr. Phillips for that great conversation. Thank you for letting uh, us share it here on the Chasing Excellence feed. One more reminder before we bounce, www.chasingexcellence.email. The link is in the show notes. Get on the list. Join us over there. We've got some cool things coming. I'm really excited about them. I want you to know about them. So, you know, do it and stuff. (laughs) Ben and I are going to be back next week for a new episode of Chasing Excellence. Until then, stay wonderful.